I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So here I am all alone in the studio on a Monday night. It's 5.34. We usually go live at 6. I am. Uh, I was thinking before I hit the record button, I wonder if there are any coronavirus jokes I could make. But then I thought those would just be tasteless. So we're recording. And I'm glad I didn't. Because who knows where that's all going to be. It's time for once again another episode of The Two-Wheeled Lifestyle. That's overused, isn't it? Or as we like to call it, The Pack Filler. Hey, I'm Pat Bulger, all alone in the studio on a Monday night, and usually this is the time I would start introducing a bunch of knuckleheads across from me who would interrupt me while I'm trying to be professional and give you a really good quality, solid introduction and sponsor mention, all those stuff, you know, and Jack would be putting his nuts on the bar. And when I say nuts, I mean like salted nuts, but that doesn't even help either, does it? So I already went into the toilet and I'm one minute and 30 seconds into the podcast. Yes, it is a Monday. It is a solo Monday because uh, I had an opportunity to get another really cool interview set up, and that is what we've got for you today. So we're going to, without further ado, get to that. But before I get to that, I want to say, God, I hope bike racing makes it through this year. I know Perry Nice is underway. I know Torino Adriatico. I know, well, hell, Italy is locked down right now. Perry Nice is underway. I, I, from my end, I understand the second stage went off fine. Uh, I think the third stage, if I'm not mistaken, finishes somewhere within about, oh, 30, 40 miles. I know I didn't say it in kilometers because I'm an American. From, from Italy. And uh, it makes you start to wonder what is going to happen and what 
is good and what is safe and at what point do we get to the point you know and i know that you're probably yelling at your your phone or whatever device you're listening to this on saying quit spreading fear and all these sorts of things but at what point do we have to say you know let's just kick this thing in the ass get it rid get rid of it completely and then resume with where we were and it seems to be these large events these large gatherings where these types of things are happening and yeah, it it might only affect 1% of the populace. And this is yours truly, a very, very uneducated uh, opinion upon all this stuff. But that 1%, if that 1% spreads to a shit ton of people, that's a lot of people. Um, so I, I don't know. And, and yours truly, I have a personal stake in it. We're headed to Flanders and Roubaix this year. Paul and I and, and Dismount are going to Flanders and Roubaix and I've got all kinds of plans. I wanted to do podcasts there. I wanted to watch bike races. I want to ride the Pave. I want to, you know, I don't know, get an autograph of my hero, man, and heroes and, and do all those sorts of things. And this is my first opportunity to get over there. And I'm, I'm scared. I don't want to have a flight canceled. I don't want to have the events canceled, but I also understand that if it does, it does. And I, and if I can get over there, I'm still going to go over there and eat waffles and drink beer and ride my bike every day. So, but I'd really love to get over there and, and watch the biggest, in my opinion, best bike races in the world um i'm a classics guy the tour is huge but i'm a classics guy and these are the two class this is holy week man this stupid virus is screwing it up oh now i'm all depressed is it gonna be better is everything gonna be okay could you please you know send me a little facebook message or something and tell me everything's gonna be okay don't call me an idiot for, for being all paranoid about this because I already get that enough throughout the course of the day. I'm a married man. <laughs> this Pack Filler podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Scratch Labs, scratchlabs.com. Go see what they've got. Go get involved with what they've got. Um, I swear to God, and I think I've been mentioning it way too often, but the recovery drink hot is brilliant. If you have not done it yet, do it. I think the strawberry flavor, in personal opinion, is great for this time of year when you're going out and putting it in your bottles. You guys, this stuff is so natural. The strawberry has little seeds, little particles, like there are little strawberry seeds in it. And this is how legit this stuff is. And I love it when it's cold, but I'm not a big fan of it when it's hot. And I'd love to hear your opinions on that. I love lemon lime year round. I buy like two bags of lemon lime, big ass bags of lemon lime at a time. And I drink it throughout the day also when I'm not just on my bike. Um, So a big fan of theirs. Also, if you have not tried out their recipes, you can go on to scratchlabs.com and they have recipes right there right now for bars, for rice uh, rice bars and, and all types of cycling based food to eat while you're on the bike i did a cinnamon apple one the other day with just rice you just make sushi rice uh mix in a little sugar i i cut up and i diced up an apple in a food processor and sprinkled that apple cider flavoring not not flavoring the apple cider scratch on top of it cut it into bars wrapped it into these these foil papers that they have and it tastes brilliant and it's great for when you're out on a ride there, I gave Scratch a gigantic plug right there. Also want to say a big thanks to Gooder. 
if you have not checked out what Gooder's got up and right, up and running for you, you should definitely get over there. G O O D R dot com. I am still a fan of the Superflies, but they've got holiday based one. They've got these new ones out that are almost like a. It's it's a classic Hollywood look, you guys, and it's even got uh, like the pinstripe salon. and makes you feel like you're great fucking Gatsby. Um, go and check out what they've got, and if you can order enough in time, you can probably get the St. Patrick's Day version. And you know, I don't need to wear them because my name's Patrick. Today on the podcast, uh, guy, I didn't. I'm going to admit I didn't have a huge background. I watched him race in the domestic peloton for the years. I didn't. I haven't seen a whole lot of interviews with him. I've read a lot of things with him, but I didn't really get an opportunity to hear the voice. And I want to say a big th- thanks to my friend Brent Soderberg, who's who lives over there where this our guest today is, and he's he's one of his coaching clients and things like that. So thanks, Brent, for hooking this one up. And um, it was a good chance to, to kind of get a really interesting perspective on a guy that for 26 years of age has an incredible concept and, and perspective about where he is, where he's going, and where our sport is and where our sport needs to be. Without further ado, everybody, Ben Wolf on the Pack Filler. Right, today's guest has spent the last several years at what I call the aggressive end of the U.S. Pro Peloton, earning multiple wins along the way, including most aggressive honors of the Tour of California. And he is currently enjoying what I'm going to put into quotation marks a retirement, end quote, of sort that has not taken too many steps away from the bikes. So let's welcome to the show Ben Wolf. Ben, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. You bet, man. Nice to have you. Hey, you know what? I. Just for a lot of the listeners who might not have a, a really good in-depth history of your career and stuff like that, I always like to start with a little perspective. So just, and this sounds as generic as hell, but could you tell me what got you into the sport? Oh, man, it's actually, it's actually a really cool story. It's actually, oh, good. Um, <laughs> I was in, when I was in, well, like, I grew up and I would always have to ride bikes around town because that's how, you know, you was freedom. So yeah. you're like, oh, I'm going to go to Billy's house. And the only rule was that you couldn't take the main road through town. <laughs> I grew up in a very small town of Old yeah. Lyme, Connecticut. Um, so we we learned, like, the trail systems to get around and, like, all the back roads and everything because, like, you know, Billy's house could be a mile away, but I wasn't allowed to go the way that was a mile. So it was, like, always you had to go, like, the five-mile roundabout way through the woods yeah. and have fun. So I always grew up riding bikes. And then um, when, when I was in middle school, I was in seventh grade, and my science teacher – uh, had like a bike club on Wednesdays after school and me and a couple of buddies would go to the bike club and, you know, have fun ripping around on mountain bikes. And then the, her, her name was Courtney Harris at the time. Um, she was kind of like, Oh, you guys are actually exceptionally fast. You should maybe try mountain bike racing. Oh wow! So we all went up on a Saturday to the first mountain bike race of the year. It was called the hop Brook dam mountain bike race up in Connecticut. And, um, I remember Miss Harris telling me that this is a Saturday and she's here and I can't screw around too much and I have to actually race, um, <laughs> because I just like having fun, you know, bike riding is all about having fun. So yeah. I was like, all right, cool. So I, uh, was, so I raced and I was going into the sprint for the win. It was me and one other guy. 
and my pedal fell off in the sprint, so I ended up getting second. <laughs> the reason my pedal the reason my pedal fell off is because I was not a bike mechanic and I cross threaded when I put the clipless pedals in. Oh. So throughout the whole race it was just like, you know, wearing and wearing and then I finally put enough power in for the sprint and the pedal decided it was gonna come off and um it ended up being a kind of an expensive because it was like the crank side oh, that I stripped. So my parents were not stoked on that, but <laughs> that's kind of how it, how it started. And then my buddy's dad took us to a, like a road race that was, you know, 30 minutes away from our house. And he had told us, Oh, we're just going to go watch the race and you guys can learn kind of what road racing looks like as opposed to mountain bike racing. And then he signed us up for the race without us knowing really. And it was like, okay, here's some numbers. You guys are racing. And we're like, <laughs> Oh, all right, cool. And we ended up going, me and my friend went second and third. Oh, and we won 20 bucks as opposed to like at the mountain bike race for second place. I got a bike pump and I was like, well, 20 bucks is way cooler than a bike pump. <laughs> so, so then it kind of just like, I was like, oh, I'm going to take this a little more seriously. So we'd like train on the road for mountain bikes. And then we ended up doing more road races and it's just spiraled into nearly like a decade long career of just racing bikes. Yeah. You you seem to have always been connected in some way from my research with Charles coaching. Is it was what was it about that group? That, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what was it about that group that helped you develop so much? Yeah, I mean, my so the head coach and the owner and my personal coach Aiden Charles. He you know he was always very he was very like you know I graduated high school early to race bikes and I ended up working at his office and I coached people as well with CCNS. Yeah. Um, so like my first job out of high school basically was, was working with him and, you know, doing all this cool stuff. Like one year we like built a wind tunnel. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a really good, that was actually even when I was still in high school, like we'd go up after school and like, you know, we'd help build this wind tunnel to the best. My buddy's dad was an engineer. So really he was the one that Aiden needed help from and wanted help from, but we joined along and we got to go there through the process. So that was really cool. Uh, and then Aiden's always been a huge supporter of me and he, he always thought that I could actually have a career out of it. And like, you know, because we've known each other for so long and on a personal level, working with a coach like that actually understands you on a personal level is huge. It's, you know, there's so many other factors in bike racing and bike riding that affect your bike riding, you know, like life and, you know, work and everything. And he always had a great understanding on that. And, you know, I've just grown to love him. Man, and now, um, God, I was build a wind tunnel. I'm like that. I my first summer job was bucking hay bales, and I'm just sitting here going, "This guy got to build a wind tunnel and and work with coaches." No wonder you were a lot. To be fair, yeah. To be fair, I mean, I was the one. We would like be the ones cutting stuff and like, you know, helping build like like very simple tasks. Like we definitely, I definitely didn't know anything about how it worked. Um, and now I know a little bit more just from being in wind tunnels and stuff. But, don't, but it, was, uh, it, was, it was an amazing experience. Yeah, don't tell that part of the story. Just keep to it that, you know, yeah, my first job was building a wind tunnel. What the hell did you <laughs> yeah, do? Yeah, dishwasher. When I, was, when I was 16 years old, I built a wind tunnel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds so much better. Um, so it go, does. So going into the junior development program in Belgium was obviously a gigantic uh, jump there. So, what you know, I know a lot of, of guys who've just kind of stayed domestically and never really made that jump over, and I can only imagine what that – culture shock what the racing level was was like in terms of a change um so and and how old were you when you went over there yeah so i mean so i graduated so essentially when i was in high school i loved riding my bike 
and I didn't like being inside. So I was, I went to my guidance counselor and I was like, how do I graduate a semester early basically? So I can go leave the, leave new England in the winter when the weather's awful and go somewhere like LA where it's warm and train. So we figured that out. Um, and so when I made their decision to like graduate high school early and try to focus on bike racing, I wanted to make a goal. And so the goal was to join the national team. And the way that I saw that was winning the tour of the bat and kill back in the day was a national team selection race. So I went out to California and was just totally hell bent on doing everything I had to do to win this bike race. Um, came home, won the bike race. Like it all, it was, it was picture perfect. Like came yeah. home, was super nervous. I remember driving to the race with my mom at the time. Uh, like we were driving up and we were talking and I was like, I'm, this is the most nervous I've ever been. Like I've, <laughs> I've put so much into this race. Like how, how's it going to go? And she's like, you've done all the work at this point. So just go ride your bike. Wow. And I was like, huh, that's pretty yeah. genius. And like no one else in my family has <laughs> ever raced bikes or ridden bikes at that point. Like I was the only like you know, athlete essentially like didn't play like school sports. Okay. And so she's like, just pedal harder than everyone. And you're going to win. And I was like, that's, you know, that's, it's pretty simple. I guess yeah. bike riding is the most simple thing in the world in, a, in, a, in one way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I went and like somehow pulled it off, won the bike race. It was a small group sprint and then emailed the national code, national team coach told him I won that. He emailed me back and said I was invited on a trip. And at the time, this house that we were, that we lived in had like a popcorn ceiling and it was a very low ceiling. And I remember <laughs> sitting on the desktop computer and I read that email and I like jumped up super excited and like punched the sky, but punched the ceiling and like tore up my hand on the popcorn ceiling. So it was kind of, it was just one of those like, oh man, like really good news. And then all of a sudden you're in pain. And that was actually almost like a metaphor for what the bike racing was that first trip over. It was like, I literally went over there expecting that I was going to be, you know, the next Tom Boonin or something. Yeah. And I don't even, I don't think I finished in complete stage race. I was finishing stages. I was getting my teeth kicked in, you know, you're, you're 17, 18 years old and you'd never, like I'd rarely left the state of Connecticut. And then all of a sudden I'm across the ocean in a different country yeah and like trying to adapt to this stuff and it was really exciting and like but terrifying and the racing was so difficult you know like it's it's like if you tried to go to an elite like nfl camp as a 18 year old you know it's that kind of thing like the culture there's so much more depth there's so much more talent it's it's just it's crazy so you know i did that three or four week trip came home and it was like what did I just, what am I getting myself into here? And as opposed to being scared of it, I was like, all right, this is going to be, this is exciting. Like I now know what it's going to take. So now I have to try to achieve that. And, you know, that's when Aiden really came in and he's like, you got to, you know, get a power meter. You got to train. You have to, you know, focus on the mental aspect of the racing. Like you deserve to be there just as much as the next guy, just because they're bigger. They know how to push you out of the way. doesn't mean you don't have to fight. And like that kind of, just you know just uh, had me step back and like you know at 17 18 years old and be like all right i really have to buckle down to do this so it was a, it was an eye-opening experience and i went in with all the hopes and dreams and basically got my teeth kicked in and was like okay let's reevaluate how we're going to do this so it was it was wild and to be able to 
uh, just that mental element of it where you're actually up there going, I deserve to be here. I'll shove back, get out of my way. For a 17, 18-year-old, that's that's either, well, I guess I could say that's either really easy or really difficult. It's never kind of a slow transition. I mean, I can think from personal experiences where I used to be able to do that, but now I'm just like, oh, I'm, I suck. I'm going to get dropped or something like that. But um, to do that at that age had to have been a, a hell of a, a challenge, I guess. Yeah, and, and I mean, the thing is, I, the, I always tell people, like, I never expected to be a professional cyclist. Like, before this whole Euro trip, I never expected that. And I just was taking opportunities and making, like, everything I could out of each opportunity. And, like, it just somehow spiraled into, you know, a seven- or eight-year career getting paid to race, race a bike. And, like, it wasn't – it was never the plan. It was never – like, it was my passion. And I think when something is your passion, you're able to, like, not think of it in, like, such a critiquing way. You're just like, okay, this option and this is available – and like, I need to make the most of this because it could be the only time it happens. But you're not thinking like that. Like if that's thinking in retrospect at the time, you're like, I've been given this opportunity. Like, I don't want to let, you know, my parents down or Aiden, my coach down, like, cause they've put time and effort into me. So it's like, you have the pressure of that. So you just do your best. And, you know, luckily doing my best was enough to like continue getting opportunities and taking them and taking the next step. Yeah. So at what point did the did the, your career begin with Jelly Belly? What was that? What made that jump? <laughs> so when I was 18, I raced for Aiden's team. It was CCNS Aetna or something at the time. And um, that's the year that I actually got a power meter and, like, I lost some baby fat and became, like, and realized, like, oh, I can pull this off. Like, you know, I'm racing well. And it was, uh, I was, I had always been friends with Jeremy Powers because he grew up in the, him and I were born in the same town and we like, I lived the town over from his parents and everything. So okay. when he was on jelly belly and he was, I think he's 10 years old. So when I was like 15 or 16. And so he was 25, 26, he came out to a local race. We met him and you know, then when he'd come home for Thanksgiving and stuff and he'd be training for cyclocross, we'd text him and we'd all go on rides with him. And like, we he lived up in the Berkshire mountains in Massachusetts. So we'd invite him to go snowboarding with us when he was in his off season and we, we just like, we became pretty good friends. And then when I was 18 on my first year, U23, they, we all did this crit in Beverly, Massachusetts and Jeremy and Brad Huff were there. It was kind of like one of the more like, you know, high end local races. And I ended up soloing like 45 minutes of the hour long crit and no one could bring me back. And I, you know, I ended up winning and you know, from there, Brad Huff and Jeremy Powers reached out to Danny Van Howen and were like, hey, you should look into hiring this kid. He's really good. So, we, like, luckily through that connection, I got into I got into conversations with Danny. And about the end of – it was mid-August, end of August, you know, Danny is like, yep, we want to hire – like, we want you on the team, all this stuff. Wow. And literally the day before I signed or before I, like, got the contract and an offer, I was out training – like one of the local road races got canceled. So we all did like this group ride training ride and I was doing extra after the ride and I crashed in an intersection and broke my pelvis. Oh, good God. So I like go to the hospital, you know, they're like, you've broken your pelvis. You, we can't do anything about it. We don't have to do surgery because nothing really got displaced, but you're out for 
two or three months, like you can't walk. And it was like, it was a pretty bad break to the point where like I was in a bed for six to eight weeks basically. And then I had to do like pool therapy. Oh, man. Um, but so like this, so 24 hours later I get out of the hospital and Danny had called me and I was like, Hey, uh, just <laughs> before you send this contract over, I just had, I just broke my pelvis and like, I'm sorry. And he's like, Oh, you're young. You're fine. You'll heal. You're good. <laughs> wow. Whatever. And I was like, Oh wow. That, that turned out way differently than I expected. Um, so it was, it was just kind of like it was, that it was like, you know, the combination of being friends with Jeremy, having a great ride and result. And then also just having Danny, like kind of believe in a younger rider. And like, you know, now Danny runs the wildlife generation, like U 25 team. Yeah. And I, I, I hope all those, all the riders on the team realize how lucky they are to have like a support system like Danny. Cause you know, I literally had broken my pelvis. He had never seen me race. He knew nothing about me other than that Brad and Jeremy you know, said that I was good. And he's like, yeah, I don't care that you broke your pelvis. Like you'll wow. be fine. Wow. So it was pretty, it was, I mean, it was, I, I mean, I, I, I love Danny. He's a great guy. Well, and, and jelly belly was one of those, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, longer standing teams in the States for a long time. I mean, um, never the biggest budget, um, but always there, always consistent. And, and I don't know, what was that experience like with the team? Was there ever a, uh, any calling for you to kind of say, well, maybe I should go on and move on to this? Or was it just like, damn, this fit? I mean, obviously with somebody who's so open to you, you know, and, and, and allowing and welcoming into the club, uh, the team in the first place, that'd be a hard one to leave. But was there ever any callings or anything like that where you were trying to jump ship or anything like that? I mean, you always, so, you know, as one, you always want, like as a kid, you always just want to race the heart of France. So like, yeah. You know, you want to do Tour de France, you want to do Paris-Roubaix, you want to do those classics you watch on their television. So there was always, like, you know, desire to, to see what was next. And, you know, there was, there was years that I had hoped it was there and, you know, it never came. It's like, you know, bike riding, bike racing and everything, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy sport because you, you can put so much into something and you're just not quite at the level that you need to be. Um so there was years that I really would have liked to move on and thought that I was capable of. And then there was other years that I was like, what am I still doing in this sport? Like, this is, this is so hard. Yeah. So like it kind of went back and forth and, you know, between, you know, the teams that I raced on with Danny and then California giant for two years with the national team as well. And then I went back to Danny for a couple of years. And then my last year was on Hincapie. Yeah. You know, I liked, I liked that role. I liked that, you know, the, the racing schedule, you know, we'd sometimes like on Hincapie, we spent two or three months in Europe last year, um, which was, it's great, you know, but a lot of those races are races that are the hardest race on the face of the earth that no one knows about or cares about like tour of Britannia and tour of Normandy are like, you know, to put it in numbers perspective, like in one week of racing, I did 1800 TSS, Jeez. which is like, you know, it's, it's, it's seven days over, you know, nearly 300 TSS each day, which if you do a 300 TSS day in training, like that's a big day. So like these races are so hard and, you know, no one, no one knows about them outside of, you know, that race or like, unless you really know bike racing. So like that kind of became, it became tough. And like, you know, I kind of came to a realization last year, like, you know, last year was the first year in my entire career that I, I said to like myself and teammates, like, 
these young kids are getting so fast. <laughs> and like, I'm only, I'm right now I'm only 26, but like I was saying, like, you know, these U23s were just wrecking us and they were so talented. And like, at some point you kind of come to the conclusion, you're like, well, this kid's younger and better than me. And you know, I'm, I, I like this role that I have and I like the schedule that I have. So, you know, like I said, there's just years that you thought you could make it. And then there's years that were really tough. And like, yeah. that's just part of the sport. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, my head spinning for a second when I just recall the fact that you're 26 and, and you're talking about young kids and I suddenly feel yeah, like I should have too. a, I suddenly feel like I should have a walker when I go in and out of the studio now because it just makes me feel that much older. But, um, so the sport itself, especially road cycling has gone through, we went through a gigantic, huge craze, heydays, late nineties, early two thousands. And then we, uh, you know, the, the sport kind of had some, some falters, which we could all probably agree on. And, and we had some low times. Um, and I don't know, a lot of times on this show, we talk about the state of, of not only just road cycling, but cycling in general, especially when it comes to the United States and where, where we see things going on here. And I don't want to sl- uh, lean any way for your answer. I just kind of want to see your perspective on, on where you see the sport going. Um, is, it, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it staying stagnant um, or anything like that in terms of what you see and what you experience? Yeah, well, I think I think cycling as a sport is growing immensely. So one of the things that in 2012, my coach Aiden, I had a little help with it or help in it, and uh, a couple other people started a nonprofit in Connecticut called the CCAP, yeah. which is cycling, a Connecticut Cycling Advancement Program, and that's you know that was to essentially try to make high school cycling as common as road as cross country or those other sports because cycling is a lifetime sport. Yeah. So the state of cycling, in my opinion, is huge right now. It's bigger than ever. Everyone rides bikes. You know, cycling is the new golf. Oh, thank God. I would say, sorry. Um, Thank God. I'm so happy to hear that. I hate golf. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Golf is too slow. We're used to moving. Take that dad. I was just saying that. So, so I think, I think cycling as a sport is growing immensely. I think, road racing specifically is is faltering a little bit and it's it, I, I think it just has to do with the kind of ebb and flow of the community and how bike riding is because bike riding is so popular the majority of people doing it are doing it for a community involvement okay and when you're when you're cat when you're racing a specific category at a specific type of race and you know all you have to be a category three or two or one to do a certain race it kind of, it's not, it's no longer like inclusive. Whereas a lot of these gravel events that are happening, they're mass start events. And, you know, you could have, you know, someone who just started riding bikes lining up next to a world tour rider. And I think that is, is huge for the community. And that's where bike riding seems to be going with all these gravel events popping up. And, you know, that's, that's partially why I made this, the switch from racing professionally on the road to kind of trying to do a gravel thing is because community is the reason I got into the sport and the reason I stayed in the sport so long. And, you know, road racing became a very selfish thing. Like, you know, when I was training, like I didn't care if my, you know, my brother had to go, if he had a football game in high school, like I, I didn't go because I was like, no, I need to be resting or sleeping. 
And, you know, that's, you know, and, yeah. you know, when you're 18, 19, being selfish is okay. <laughs> and now as I've got, as I've gotten older, I, I don't like being quite as selfish. And I think this, this whole gravel racing kind of thing is picking up and it's so community oriented. Like you go into a town, the town has a party well, you go ride your bike on this epic course and then you come back and you party with the town. Yeah. Like it doesn't get any more community based than that. Yeah. So I guess I think cycling as a sport is only growing in popularity, but like your specific categorized racing is, you know, just because it's not as inclusive and, you know, you have to, you know, you have to like work through the ranks essentially. And then, it becomes like, oh, you're a cat five, I'm a cat one. Like yeah. we can't ride together. That kind of thing is, yeah. it's just not true. Yeah. But that's kind of that's why I think road racing is faltering a little bit. It's so interesting. I've had of my interview podcasts over the last probably six weeks. Um, I've talked to a lot of guys who have made that switch to to gravel. I talked to Pete Stetna. I talked to Ian Boswell. I talked to Ted King and all those kind of guys. And and you and all of you have given almost an identical response in terms of what was the reason for the switch. It was, it's all based on community. It's based on inclusivity. It's based on the fact that I can go, I can race my ass off and I can have a beer afterwards with everybody. And, and it's a much more relaxed approach. I personally grew up as a road, as a roadie, I started, I did do, I, you know, I did, I still do race mountain bikes and I, I have done a lot of mountain bike racing, but it's always a road background. But I always specifically remember, and I've said this before, road racing, if you get dropped, your day's over. And, yeah. And that, that nobody, who wants to do that? I mean, unless you're a dyed in the wool roadie who's been doing it forever and are still trying to, you know, stay with the specific ranks or beat your same buddies. It's it's really tough to explain to somebody new to the sport, hey, oh, sorry, you know, it's a crit. You got dropped, and if you're going to get lapped, the ref's going to pull you. Sorry, but thanks for your entry fee. Exactly. And it's, it's that kind of like... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You know, that, that I mean that was that's the issue. And to be a specific road racer. Like, you know, we, we, ha we have some, so we have or have had some sort of screw loose <laughs> to where like you, you, you somehow into your mind, you build in getting drops as like the next challenge. And you're yeah. like, yeah, I got dropped today, but you bet your ass next time I'm not going to get dropped. Yeah. Like, and, and it takes a specific type of person 
to think like that, right? It's like you look failure in the eyes and you're like, nah, you're not winning type yeah. thing. Yeah. And like, and, and, and I, I, I'll say like, you know, it's, it's something that doesn't appeal to everyone. And it's something that actually fades. Like, you know, I, I didn't like getting dropped in the later part of my rate, like road racing career. Like I hated it, but like when I was younger, I was like, no, nah, screw this. Like I'm, I, I'm, I'm coming back harder. Yeah. And then so like, you know, me, like I'm 185 pounds, I'm six foot four. And you know, when I'm at tour of Utah the past couple of years, like, I know I'm going to get dropped once we start going up the high mountains. And like, you're like, all right, uh, it's Gruppetto, but like you go into the Gruppetto and it's still the hardest day of your life, really? you know? Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's a very mentally taxing thing. And it's a lot of self-talk and, you know, oh, I can, I'm, I'm going to improve this, that, and the other thing. Whereas, you know, that's, it, it kind of almost ruins the fun of it to a certain extent. Cause you get so in your own head yeah. that you become just even more selfish you're like nope i can't eat that cookie that like my girlfriend just bought me because i need to lose a half a pound to be able to stay in the gruppetto at tour of utah you're like mm, <laughs> it's not that fun anymore <laughs> uh, my, i'm laughing because i'm in the same boat but on a much larger scale and when I say mm-hmm. scale, I mean the proverbial scale, standing on the scale. And I'm, I'm trying, I've been trying to lose 15 pounds for about 20 years now. And I always find myself <laughs> in the, in the boat. It's like, oh, now I'm going to have a beer tonight, you know, screw it. Yeah. And, you know, it's like it's, my friends will drop me, whatever. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you know, personal happiness is going to outweigh that beer. So you're yeah. like, yeah, you know, that beer's happening. Yeah. You're like, yep. <laughs> I like, I like the taste of beer and not having this beer tonight, it's not going to make me miserable, but it's not as enjoyable. So yeah, it's not as good. We're yeah, going to go exactly. for it. So tell me about what your calendar and especially what you're doing with coaching and things like that. What what what's going on right now? What's keeping you going? Yeah. So I so throughout my entire racing career, I always had a client load of coaching through CCNS and through Aiden. Um, and then when I made the choice to step back, I I had you know more time. I'm not traveling. I'm not racing. that my thought process was I'm not traveling and I'm not racing and I have more time to focus on this. And, you know, so that's what I've been doing. I've been, you know, getting more clients and like, I love telling the stories of races because a lot of people think, especially in cycling and road racing and that kind of thing, they think for some reason and everyone I've ever talked to and even other professional riders and teammates, you think every problem you have in a bike race is something that you only have. (laughs) <laughs> and it's you know you're like oh i got dropped because you know xyz and you're like no that happens to everyone like i don't care like a human's not a machine like you have good days and bad days regardless of what training you put in sometimes because that's just how it works so and i love sharing those experiences and like you know making like you know everyone re- then realizes like you know build the community like you're not alone like Everyone has self-doubts going into racing. So I love sharing that kind of stuff. And I think that's really important in coaching. And that's why I loved Aiden and everything. It's because he understood, like, you know, if I had a bad race, like, I didn't want to tell him why I had a bad race the minute the race ended. Like, he would wait till the next day till I had time to process it and, like, think of it from a steady state. So I I love sharing that. And I love that aspect of coaching. But I couldn't give up riding my bike and like i'm too competitive to stop doing everything competitively yeah so then i started had this idea of kind of putting together my own kind of privateer gravel 
mountain bike, road bike, any race I can do kind of program. So, you know, I, I went out and found a couple of sponsors and it's kind of like, I've, I've kind of dubbed it like wolf's racing a wolf racing. Yeah. And, you know, I have the coaching company behind me. I have a coffee sponsor who I've had for years Invictus coffee. It's a local, it's like a local new England or Connecticut brand out of Hartford. And the owner Jay Renee is a very, he, there's a coffee shop, Jay Renee. And then the subcategory is Victus coffee and Victus is more meant for sport and, you know, fueling oh, wow. for sports. And it's like, you know, he supports the nonprofit, the CCAP sports, other racing teams. So I, you know, Renee was no brainer. He jumped on. I have verge clothing, making my kits this year, which I've designed and I'm really proud of how they turned out. And then I have Cannondale bicycles on board as well to kind of provide the speeds for, for the, for the racing and kind of the basis behind this is like, we're going to develop a community that fosters a love for cycling by creating a genuine dialogue that focuses on education in the community of cycling. So, you know, I want to, not only do I want the community to grow, but I want people to understand, you know, the rules of the road better because too many friends and cyclists are getting hit by cars and it's not bike riders fault most of the time it's someone texting and driving or whatever, but <clears throat> that's a battle that we will never lose. We're on a 15 pound bicycle dressed in spandex and someone's in a two ton car driving down the road. Yeah. So it's kind of on us to like pay attention. It's not fair. It's not anything, but it's our life versus being on the hood of a car. And I, so a lot of that comes down to like, you know, following the rules of the road and like, you know, tour breast is legal in most states and riding like that and close and, you know, maybe not going up a mountain pass that has turns and curves riding to a best in a group. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, I, I want to kind of help grow that, especially, you know, working with the CCAP. If you teach children at a young age of how to properly ride and everything, then they're going to be safer. But then once they get into the, you know, a car, when they turn 16 and can drive, they also have a better understanding of like that bike riders are humans. Cause I see, you see it all the time. You see drivers stop to let turkeys cross the road, but then they'll get pissed at something that's their <laughs> own species, a human on a bicycle. And yeah. you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, you know, and it needs to come from both ends. Drivers need to respect cars. Cars need to, or drivers need to respect riders and riders need to respect drivers. And, you know, I think that just comes down to the education of, you know, the etiquette of bike riding. You know, so I, I really want to focus on that. There's a term I hear a lot of times when I'm I'm hearing about this new focus, you know, and people t- committing over to gravel and things like that. And I hear the term ambassador a lot. And um, what you were just talking about actually defines that concept where you're not just going out there and competing in a race wearing somebody's kit or riding their bike. You're actually going out there, getting people excited about the sport and helping people understand the the etiquette and the rules and things like that involved with it. And also building, I think you're saying fostering the community. And that's just, that's an ambassadorship. And that, dude, that's, I can see why these companies are coming on board because you're approaching it more than just, hey, I'm going to go really fast and I'm going to put my hands in the air and make sure I zip up before I come across the finish line. Exactly. And then like in my idea behind this whole project was that, 
you know, I still have the skill set to try to go win these races, but then to use the platform of winning these races to spread the message of, you know, education in the community of cycling and like how it's inclusive and, you know, to be safe and everything like that. So it's, it was kind of like, for me, it was a no brainer because it's like, well, I'm only 26. It's not like I've lived my best years of an endurance athlete quite yet. Yeah. So I still have this skill set, but I want to like give back to the community. That's the reason I stepped away from bike riding was, or from racing professionally was to like be more involved. So it was kind of like a combination of both that kind of really started setting the, the trend for what I was trying to do. Wow. So are you involved in this Grand Fondo New York challenge thing? <laughs> yeah. Read, so read, yeah. <laughs> last, so last year I just, I had literally just gotten back from Europe and the, the CCAP has their breakaway benefit ride every year. And, you know, this coming year is May 3rd. Last year it was similar. And it's, you know, it's a big, you know, you know, benefit for the CCAP. So I had flown home from South Carolina where I lived last year to do this ride. And Aiden, my coach was like, Hey, we're doing the grand final in New York. And it didn't overlap. It was like a week later, but I was still home. He's like, by the way, if you go under four hours, there's like a huge prize because no one's ever done it. Like the fastest time has always only been like four hours and 15 minutes. You should come do it. And I was so tired and exhausted from racing in Europe. I was like, no, man, I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to hang out with my family. I'm probably not going to ride my bike a little bit. I need to recover. Yeah. And then so this year when I had this idea, he's like, oh, you now can focus on trying to break this four hour mark. So what we did is we, like, you know, went in and analyzed what it would take on, like, you know, the bike splits app and kind of looked at numbers and everything and kind of came to the conclusion that if I were to do this, try to do this by myself, I think the number was, like, I'd have to average 400 watts for oh my God. four hours. Yeah. Um, and, like, I'm a big person and I produce a lot of power, but I think the most I've ever done, I did maybe, like, 420 watts for two hours in a training ride. God. And like, you know, that was, you know, there's no way I could have done that for another two hours. So, so we were like, huh, we need to build a team around to like help try to break this record. So that's when we started their, you know, we're, we're calling it their, you know, hashtag CCNS breaking four. Um, so we've put together a team and the idea is, it's like it's almost it's going to be like a grand tour size team like eight or nine riders and i have the pressure to actually go under four okay but i need all these guys to help me do so and like i could never do it by myself so we we've i've roped in you know ian boswell is going to be on the team to help one of my friends tanner putt who i raced with he raced on uhc (laughs) he raced on um hincapi with me last year he's been like two-time u23 national champ so I, I've, I've roped in some big firepower to help me do so. Um, so, and then, you know, we had talked about doing this and then Aiden kind of spoke about it sooner than I would have liked. It's a <laughs> lot of pressure to try to do this. And he spoke about it in January. And now, since then it was kind of like, Oh, well, I guess now you have to do it. So, <laughs> oh, great. so now we're, we're, we're fully focused on, you know, trying to break that four hour mark. What are your thoughts on fondos? Um, and I, you know, I, I get some people and I'm, I'm might be leaning the same way again, as I told you, I'm kind of a, I'm a 
I was ra- racing bikes back when my hero was Greg LeMond and this purity and road cycling and stuff like that. Are Fondos racing? <clears throat> if there's prize money on the line, everything's a race. Okay. okay. I like that. I like that. So if there's, a, if there's a prize, it doesn't even have to be prize money. If there's a prize on the line, people are going to be competitive and therefore it's a race. Um, you know, if it's a, like there's a difference between a Fondo and a charity ride. Yeah. Um, but a Fondo to me is the same thing as, you know, racing dirty Kansas or something where it's, you know, a mass start event of everyone from every ability, but the front end is still a bike race. I like that. Okay. I like that. But you know, and I, I, maybe it's just the word I, I, when I first heard the word grand Fondo, I always thought of, uh, yeah, you know what they used to call a metric century or something like that. It right. was all just kind of a, you know, you ride, you food stop, you ride, you food stop, you laugh, you know, you're surrounded by people in day glow rain jackets, uh, you know, and th- yep. third eyes on their, on their glasses and stuff like that. But, but, I don't know. The more I'm starting to experience it, the more I need to realize that maybe I should step off my elitist pedestal and probably realize, like you say, dude, there's something on the line. If if people want to go fast, it's it's racing. Exactly. I mean, that's that. And like the thing, I will say the thing I am most bummed about, or the only thing I'm really bummed about about this CCNS breaking four. Yeah. Thing is that I can't stop and eat food and you know talk to people at rest stops as much as I'd like to because I need to like to make it happen. I need to be riding yeah. flat out the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the only the only bummer is that I have to like dismiss their super fun parts of the Fondo, which is the food and you know the 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 fun aspect to to go ride my bike hard for four hours. Yeah, in theory, four hours. God. Oh my God, that sounds that sounds absolutely insane. Um, the more people I talk to about it, they're they're like more nervous I get. Like really? everyone's like, yeah, you know, up until Bear Mountain or so, like the halfway mark, they're like, yeah, it's totally doable. But then after Bear Mountain, you just keep getting kicked with these climbs, and really? like you're in the second half of a hundred miles. It's just going to get harder and harder and harder. Sometimes in like middle of May. And in New England, middle of May is either or the Northeast, rather, because we don't count New York as New England. But <laughs> it could either be, you know, 40 degrees and raining or it can be, you know, 90 degrees and humid. Oh, and for sweet. me, 90 degrees and humid is like the worst possible yeah. Yeah. thing. Oh, man. See, I, yeah, because I don't even know the course. I've never been over to race. I'm, I'm West Coast, so this is completely an opposite sensation for me to get over and ride something like that. But uh Holy crap. So let me switch gears here before we get kind of winded down. Um, and I, I'd like to ask you more about your coaching and stuff like that. And the clients you work with, do they tend to be a specific demographic? Or are you kind of across the board or do they live in a specific region? Do you have to kind of be a one-on-one face-to-face kind of a thing? It's, it's, so it's all, it's all over. It's mainly Northeast based um, just because that's where the, the company is actually based in Middletown yeah. in Connecticut. So like dead center, Connecticut. So it's mainly New England, but there's athletes all over the world um, that are coached. I I have clients that range from 15-year-old junior crushers to, you know, 70-year-old crushers. You know, there's, yeah. there's, no, there's no demographic, and, like, that's why cycling is so great is because you have this massive pool of people who they just need a bike. Yeah. So, so you know, we – 
it's all over the board. Really? So what do you say to, I, I have two specific, let's say, potential clients for you. I have one who's an old fart, not, I'm not spiking about myself, of course, um, <laughs> uh, but who's been at it since the 1980s and things like that and thinks he might know his shit fairly well. What do you say to a client like that, first of all, who thinks, no, I don't need a coach or something like that? I, you know, I think it, personally like you know so you know i'm a certified coach and there's been times in the past that i've thought oh i should coach myself and you know that way aiden doesn't have to deal with me being a prima donna (laughs) um but i will say from experience like that it's it's always better to have a second pair of eyes yeah because you know like when i coached myself i was just you know i feel like riding this hard today uh maybe this hard today and like you know, I would write my training plan at the beginning of the week and then that would change because I was like, I'm actually really tired today. Whereas if you have someone else looking over you, like, yeah, you're supposed to be tired and you're still supposed to go ride your bike for four or five hours because the point is that you're training for a stage race and you need to train when you're tired because you're going to be tired in the stage race. Yeah. So I would say like there's always, always having a second pair of eyes is important regardless of how much you think you know. Um, just because you know, everything you know is based on your own personal experience and it could be good or bad. Yeah. But you know, the, every, everything can change a little bit and sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse, but you need a second pair of eyes to really push yourself to be able to, you know, take a step to the next level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, you hit the nail right on the head. <laughs> I mean, like, trust me, I, 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 I like even this year up until, you know, when I kind of decided to, to stop racing professionally and before I really got my program kind of moving, yeah, I was kind of quote unquote coaching myself and I was still maybe riding, you know, 12 hours a week or whatever, but I was, I was just like, Oh, I'm going to go on the social ride with a friend. Oh, I'm going to do this other social mountain bike ride and maybe there'll be some hard effort. So I'll count that as intervals. And, you know, and then I like Aiden's like, Hey, you want to break four hours? You need to like actually start riding your bike. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And I was like, mm, okay, wow. that's fair. Wow. You know, and, and this is after, you know, so many years of doing that, that I was still like, yep, okay, I still need a second pair of eyes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That, that was, that was spot on. And I'm now realizing what I've been doing wrong for about 20 years. But, uh, <laughs> uh, my, my second potential client demographic is kids and parents. And how do you deal, are, are most of the parents when you get to this level uh, pretty square headed or are they, do you get the the little bit of a helicopter mom and dad? I mean, you it's you know it's it, it is tough, and I think the biggest thing is is telling the like is making sure that the kid wants to do this. Yeah. So you know, because like for me, I got I I have like two stories. So like I have friends that I grew up racing with whose parents were super into cycling and like, that's the reason they got into the sport and that they were super talented and they'd end up burning out and quitting. Whereas you had me who my parents were just like, Oh, just pedal faster than everyone. And you're going to win. <laughs> and uh, you know, they, they supported me. They took me to bike races. They did all that kind of stuff. But like, as far as like the actual knowledge of the sport, they knew very little. And I think that's the reason I made it so long in the sport was because it was all intrinsic pressure. Yeah. So I think that's, that's the difference when you have a young kid and like, you have to realize like, 
up until you're 17, 18 years old, like in the junior ranks, you're not even close to being developed. You know, like even at 17, 18, you're not close to being developed. But yeah. as far as the junior ranks go, <clears throat> and there's such a tremendous, you know, like I was racing and I looked, I was like, you know, six foot two, hadn't grown into my body yet at all. Like I couldn't even walk. <laughs> I had no, no beard or anything. And I'm racing kids who look like they're 30, but they just have, <laughs> like, they just matured much quicker. And of course they're going to be better. Like they're fully developed at 18 and I, I wasn't fully developed till I was like 22. Yeah. And like, so there's a certain amount of understanding that needs to go between parents and coaching and the kids. And it's like, you know, if the kid actually wants to do this and they're focused and it's intrinsic, then that's great. Let's run with this. If it's the parent thing, like kind of a, like a hover parent, yeah. then you need to kind of like have them realize the reason they hired a coach was so that there was like the middleman between them and their child. Cause I think that's really important. Cause like, you know, we we were all kids at one point and if your parents told you to do something, you did the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. Or so there's and like and that's why I love coaching juniors so much and that's why I'm so involved with the CCAP is because when you have a kid who genuinely loves the sport and wants to do it, it's the most exciting thing in the world. Wow. And like and that's super fun. Whereas if you have a kid who's being forced to do it by his parents, the kid may be super talented, but when you can tell he doesn't care to do it or doesn't want to do it, it's sad. Yeah. So there's, there's like, you know, there's pluses and minuses to that. And, you know, I think, I think it's all about, you know, finding if the, the kid really wants to do it. And if the kid really wants to do it, then awesome. And if the kid really doesn't want to do it, you try to find a way to make it fun. So like maybe instead of doing intervals, he does go out with the Tuesday night mountain bike ride and you tell him just to wreck all the old guys. <laughs> And like, that's his interval day. So you like, you got to balance, like, you know, there's a certain amount of workload and there's a certain amount of like fun you need to have and to keep it fun, especially as a junior, even to keep it fun when you're 26 or 46 or 76, whatever. Yeah. yeah. You still, it still needs to be fun. So you just got to find that balance. And sometimes that's tough. Other times it's not tough at all, but it's just like distinguishing between the two. Wow. That that's I like that. Okay, so my my last two things. Uh, one is just just for fun. If if um, from your years in the in the pro peloton, if you had to recall a moment or a story that just went, yep, this completely defines what it's like to be a pro cyclist. And by the way, it can be humor based, or it can be you know potty based, or or disgusting, or anything like that. Just whatever you think was like. Holy crap, this this exact moment is what it's like being a pro. What would that moment have been? Um off the top of my head, yeah. it's when we go when we run and race or we race in Asia a bunch, but the first time going to Asia and you are washing your race kit in the sink <laughs> and hang drying it to make sure it was dry for the next day so you could wear it again. That was kind of like, you know, that that was pro that was that was it to me. It was like there's no there's no no real glamour like unless you're the top of the top like unless you're the Peter Sagans of the world. Yeah, it's not it's not that glamorous and like that's when you know if you actually want to do it and if you love it because it's not always <laughs> it's not it's not you know driving around in Ferraris being an F1 driver. Yeah. yeah, it's quite the opposite. It's a lot of hard work and 
like that that was that was it like it was just like okay yep I still find this fun, so let's keep doing it. <laughs> you know, and, and I love those ones. I love where, where it's a little bit stripped back. It's you're pulling back the curtain and going, hey, it's not all, you know, press conferences and massages and the tour of California. Sometimes it's it's driving yourself to the own your own race. It's it's sleeping in your car. It's, you know, crashing on somebody host family's couch or something like that. And oh, that's, yeah. That's the part of it. That and, that's, I don't and, think that's, see. and that's like, you know, that's also part of what I like want to tell like why, why i want to work with the ccap so like why i want to do this so badly with them is like because they you know the majority of the public watches the tour de france and they see those guys but what they don't see is like you know the riders like me who you know never won anything massive like tried a bunch of times never won anything massive still doing it still you know driving around in a 2002 saturn ion <laughs> just just loving it yeah and that's that's the, what the majority of you know people who become professional are going to be and like if you if you don't like the idea of that you're not going to like the reality of yeah. it but if you love the idea of that and just having fun and getting all these like amazing experiences like i would i would never have traveled to all the places i have and ridden my bikes in such amazing places if it wasn't bike riding and that's that was part of it that was so cool to me yeah. and you know that's if you if you want to do it for the glamour and the money you're better off just, you know, working at a bike shop. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But if you if, if you want to do it for the experiences and the fun and the learning that you get through it, it's amazing. It's almost like you looped it back around to when I asked you at the beginning what got you in and you were talking about that freedom. It's about taking yep. a long way and it's about that what and I think that's what a lot of us find our way in and keep going into it. And that's why we go out on a Saturday sometimes by ourselves and spend four to six hours alone even and that's what just I, that's what makes it crazy so yeah right. i mean and personally for me like you know i'm I'm in boulder colorado now and the and like you know when you go out and it's like 20 degrees and windy and miserable oh yeah those are almost the best rides that i have because you're like no one else is out here doing this or very few people <laughs> are out here doing this and like you just feel like a badass so that's yeah. why you do it right on Okay, last but not least, I have my final, these are what I call the speed round questions. I have 10 questions, and you can answer as quickly as you darn well wish. Are you cool with that? Yep. All right, here we go. Number one, other than your hometown, the best place to ride a bike would be where? Uh, in Portugal. Oh, wow. the south, southern tip of Portugal. Okay. That's that's all right. Okay, now I'm gonna have to put that on the itinerary. Number two, <laughs> what I call the pre and post best pre ride beverage and best post ride beverage. Uh, Victus Coffee pre ride and that. post ride is definitely any sort of beer. Maybe <laughs> not like Coors Light or Bud Light, but okay. like you know a real beer. Are you a beer? Okay, you're a, you're a beer snob kind of because uh, this show is all about beer snobbery, by the way. So yeah, no, okay. I'm I'm very much you know on the the IPA train of okay. like you know strong tasting beers. Okay, good. Um, and I I like that you picked the perfect pre ride beverage because. Yeah, that's your sponsor. Well done. Well done. It's yeah. like you were prepared to do that. Uh, number three, aero bars on gravel. The answer is yes, no, or hell no. Uh, I'm going to say yes, just in case I have them on at Kansas this year. <laughs> okay. You just had to put an asterisk next to that one just to give you an in. Okay. Number four, your personal hero. Uh. 
that's a great question. Uh, I mean, I had, to, I, I mean, I, so many of them. Personal hero, hero in cycling. Yeah, or whatever. I, I would have, to, I would have to say, personal hero in cycling was Greg LeBond because he actually came and did a junior clinic with my junior team back in the day, oh, which was the okay. coolest thing in the world. Okay, now nah, that's a good choice. Uh, favorite band or musician? Number five. I would say Bob Dylan. Really? Yep. Wow. You're too young for Bob Dylan. <laughs> Something about it, it just calms me. Like it could have been the crappiest race in the crappiest part of the world. And I would put on some Bob Dylan and I would just be happy. Okay, cool. Uh, movie you could watch again and again. Days of Thunder. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you, but that is that is the most abstract movie choice I have heard while asking these questions. No shit, really. Okay, I I do love that movie. <laughs> Favorite piece of equipment? Um, I would say frame pump. Really? Okay. I mean, it saves my life more times than yeah. anything else on my bike. That could, you know, that is not just the bike in general. Yeah, you're not a CO2 guy. I don't trust them. I don't know how to use them, to be honest. Um, I, yeah, you know, I mean, well, way. like you, you carry two of them on a ride and you flat three times and you're, you're screwed. You know? Yeah. 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 Okay. No, uh, three more. If it wasn't for the bike, I would be blank. I have no idea. I honestly, <laughs> I think about that on a daily basis and I have zero idea just because bike riding has been there for so long. Okay. I like that. Uh, coolest looking cycling kit you have ever seen and you can't pick your current one i would honestly the old map a kit really okay yeah or or the or the lobby claire the old one like the that one was beautiful oh now you're talking all right uh number 10 the biggest mistake you think cyclists make in their training that's a coaching specific one Uh, overtraining oh really okay okay Right I, th- I think a lot of people get the Rocky Balboa mentality and they just think harder, <laughs> harder, harder all the time. And one of my favorite sayings I ever heard was from Brad Huff was when in doubt, spin it out. Yeah. Okay. I like that dude. Well, first of all, uh, thanks for your time. Second of all, I know that listeners are going to want to know how to follow you, how to get in, in touch with you and things like that. So what are proper methods in which they could either stalk you or contact you? Yeah, so my Instagram is at Ben C. Wolf with an E W O L F E. On Facebook, I think it's Benjamin Wolf. I think I went proper on Facebook. <laughs> um, and then, you know, my email is quite long, but the email is ben.wolf with an E at charlescoaching.com. Right and Twitter, I think it's just Ben underscore Wolf again with an E you believe all of these social media formats we have to follow now just to be able to, you know, to, it's unreal. Like I don't like, I, I, to be fair, like I post on Twitter, like when I remember, which is maybe once a week, (laughs) Facebook, maybe two or three times a week. And Instagram's really like, you know, the big one nowadays. So that's the one I stick on. Yeah. Well, um, 
and please don't take this as condescending. For a 26-year-old, you have a pretty solid perspective on a lot of different things. And um, I really like the way you, you have a take on the sport. I love the fact that you've mentioned things like cycling being lifelong, about the, the community and the building. And I think it's a really cool uh, path that you're on. And I don't, again, mean to sound spiritual or anything like that, but I think this is... Um, a lot of the guys I'm talking to about the gravel switches, they're not just, it's not a monetary decision. It's, it's that they love bike riding and they just want to keep doing it, but without being so uptight. So, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think it comes from the fact that like, you know, bike riding is very dangerous. And if you're doing it for the money, (laughs) you may be doing it for the wrong aspects. And then also like as cliche and as dumb and as much as I hate saying this, like <laughs> life is way too short to be chasing money as yeah. opposed to fun. Yeah. Like as long as you're making enough that you're comfortable and you don't like, and you're not accustomed to lavish things like most bike riders are because we never had them. No. Then you just like want to ride your bike for fun. So fun uh-huh. and community is, is basically what it comes down to. And as long as I can buy some beer and some chip or guacamole in my burrito at Chipotle, I'm okay. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to end it on that. Thanks so much for your time. I love it. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. As I said before I started, the guy has wisdom beyond his years. And maybe that comes from the experience element, going out and doing these things and, 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 and living I don't want to sound all philosophical, but and living life and not just reading about it and doing the book things. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of college and things like that. Um, and then after I hit stop on the recorder, he and I talked at length a, a little bit more about that and about, um, the college degree is there and it's important, but it's, it's also sometimes important to go out and get those life experiences. And, and you can hear the education that this man has received in his life experiences. And it was really cool talking with him. He mentioned after, again, after the show was over, you know, about some of his stories and about multiple injuries and, and actually thinking he had had a heart attack while in a race in, in Ireland. And he offered to, to come back on the show and, and talk about some of those other experiences. So stay tuned. Hopefully we'll get Ben back on and I, you guys follow him and contact him and, and you never know. Um, cool dude. Again, that, that gravel mentality, I don't want to be just all 100% pro gravel. Paul would be shaking his head at me right now. He probably is listening to this podcast, but uh, I, I like the mentality of those guys. They all just want to do it for the love of it. It's not necessarily about, you know, the the cash. And uh, if, if you're in it for the cash, apparently that's not going to be the deal. There you go. Another pack filler has come to a conclusion. Subscribe to the podcast. Like us on iTunes. Uh, not, not on iTunes. You don't like on iTunes. Do you like on iTunes? Fuck, I don't even know. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that shit. We're on all that stuff. Let's hope bike racing continues here soon. I'm I'm hoping Perry Nice makes it all the way through to the end. There's a, There are rumblings and grumblings that it might not even make it that far. So let's see. Cross your fingers, gang. If uh, worst case scenario, nobody really huge spectators don't go to gravel races, so we could all just go do those, right? Right? Let's hope. Talk to you next week. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.